Wasn't that awesome? So I have to tell you that um, I loved her energy, right? I mean, she was down front, she was back, she was forth, she was up, she was down. And there are some ways that Pastor Gail and I are alike. So we are both American citizens. We both were very wise in our choices of a husband. We both chose Canadian men. Woohoo! <laughs> right? But there are some ways that she and I are different. She told you that she's a pacer, right? That she paces? Well, she's a pacer. I'm a stander stiller, okay? <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be right here. She also told you that she doesn't use notes, right? She read you some scripture. She laid her Bible down. I have some notes, okay? I have 19 pages of notes. So she's super dynamic, right? Super high energy. She was up. She was down. I, on the other hand, have been told after I speak, which is not super often, but I've been told that I have a very soothing voice. <laughs> So my hope this morning is that you have had some caffeine, because I don't want to put you to sleep with my soothing voice, okay? But where Pastor Gail and I definitely agree is that God's Word is powerful, and it can change lives. So I don't want you to fall asleep this morning, okay? So this is going to be a great second day of the Ignite Conference, and I am thrilled to be here with you. I don't speak at conferences very often or even on a Sunday morning, but when you are friends with Melissa, and she says, would you speak at my conference? You say yes. You say yes. So I really didn't put a lot of information in my bio, so I'll tell you just a little bit about me, but not a whole lot, because that's not what we're here for today. But um, I was not raised in a Christian home, but when I was 14 years old, I came to know Christ. And a year later, or less than a year later, while I was sitting in Spanish class when I was in high school, I heard the Lord say, you are going to marry a pastor. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so at the ripe old age of 19, I did marry a ministry-minded man. And we have been married now for 24 years. Um, oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> He has made it easy to be married to him for 24 years. Uh, our first church was in Lansing, Michigan. We were there for 12 years, and that's where both of our kids were born. Then we made a dramatic move from Michigan in the Midwest, way south, to Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Yeah, it's a different world when you go to the deep south. Uh, we were there for 10 years. While we were there, one of the things that we were privileged to do is we were foster parents for a couple of years, and we had the awesome opportunity to be a mom and dad to four babies, a couple that we still have the opportunity to, uh, to be in touch with long distance through FaceTime. And then in January of 2017, we got a call from a church in Moncton, and they said, would you consider coming? Did you catch when they called? In January, what? So I'm sitting there in sunny, mild, you know, January day in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. The temperature was probably, I don't know, 15 degrees Celsius. The birds are chirping. You know, there's not a flake of snow anywhere to be found for miles and miles. And we get this call and they say, what would you think about coming to Canada? And I thought, call back in June, <laughs> you know. Because in June, it's 100 degrees in Alabama, and that's when you want to be in Canada, right? 
So, but we prayed about it. Uh, we decided to come for a visit in March. We saw the winter, and uh, we sensed that the, the Lord really was saying, I want you to go to Moncton. So we said yes, and in the summer of 2017, we relocated here, and we really, really have enjoyed it, snow and ice and all. And in fact, I was talking to my, my folks over here. I was still excited to see those snowflakes this morning. I'm so sorry to say that. I know some of you hate that we're still having snow. But because I, you know, I missed 10 years of winter in Alabama. I missed winter. So I'm still making up for lost time. So I get excited every time it snows. I stand by my window and I watch it and I just go, this is awesome. So know that if it snows when it shouldn't be snowing, it's because I'm praying for it and asking for it and it's my fault. And I'm okay taking the blame for that. So, but today, are you ready to jump into this message? I hope you are, because I really believe that this is what the Lord has specifically for us on this day. And I say that because I actually was planning to do a different message. I had two messages that I was kind of studying and praying about and trying to decide. And I really didn't feel settled about either one of those. So when I started looking at the story that I'm going to share with you today, um, that was when I, I really felt like this is what the Lord was saying. This is what I want you to do. I want you to put those other two aside. And this is what we have. So what I want to share with you today, this is the story of a woman that I would call Fierce. And her name, well, we don't know her name. She is an unnamed woman in scripture, but her story is amazing. I want you to open your Bible. I hope you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, pull out your phone. Uh, we're going to go to 2 Kings chapter 4. And the reason I want you to have your scripture is that we're going to go verse by verse, line by line through this story. Um, and I think it's really going to help if you're able to actually see the scripture. So if you don't have a Bible or a phone that you can look it up on, maybe scoot over closer to your neighbor. I'm sure she'll share with you. Um, but pull that out. I would love for you to be able to follow along with me. So here in 2 Kings chapter 4, we find the story of this unnamed woman. And like most of us, she was not famous. Her name was never up in lights. She did not have a building named in her honor. She was a regular person with regular problems. But what we're going to see today is how God can break through difficult situations and bring great blessing. And what we're going to see today with her is that she goes through three stages in her life. And as we walk through these, I want you to look and see, do you find yourself in one of these three places? Because it's really important to know where we are, right? It's hard to get to a destination if you don't know where your starting point is, right? Are any of you directionally challenged? Okay, I'm raising both hands, okay? And Melissa can attest to this. Remember? I know, but we got together one time, we met at your friend's salon, and she was heading out somewhere, and she, I, I told her, I was like, please don't rely on me for directions, because I'm directionally challenged. And she's the one who lives here, so I was like, she's, we're fine. But we got in the car, and we started talking. Before we knew it, we were like halfway to Nova Scotia. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know where we are. Do you know where we are? I don't know where we were. We were lost, and we shouldn't have been lost. But I'm embarrassed to admit to you that even though I grew up and lived in the same city for 17 years of my life that I still get lost sometimes when I go back to my hometown. I have had to ask my dad for directions to the mall. I mean, that's just not right. There have been times when I've gone back home and I will go to visit my grandparents and I have had to put their address in my GPS. My grandparents have not moved in over 50 years. <laughs> I mean, it's just not good. 
mean, and I did not grow up in Chicago. I did not grow up in Toronto. I did not grow up in New York City. I grew up in Christiansburg, Virginia, population 20,000. <laughs> you know, I should not be lost in my own hometown. I am directionally challenged. And sometimes, in order to get where we need to be, we first have to know where we are. And sometimes that means that I have had to retrace my steps, go back home, and start over. So today I want you to listen carefully in case you need to figure out where you are today so that then you can move forward to be where God wants you to be. So what we're going to see today in this unfamiliar story of an unnamed woman, that it may hold the keys to help you move forward through a doorway of possibility into a season of blessing. So are you ready? Yes? Do you have 2 Kings chapter 4? I see lots of nodding heads. I love it. Okay, read along with me. It says, one day Elisha went to Shunem. So we're going to start our story with Elisha. He's an important character in our story today. And where was Elisha headed? Yeah, you can speak back when I ask you a question. Shunem. He was headed to Shunem. Elisha was a great prophet of God. He was one of the most holy and powerful men of God who's ever lived. And much of his ministry happened around a place called Mount Carmel in Israel. Well, Shunem was a city that was on the way to Mount Carmel. So it was a place he went through often as he was going back and forth to Mount Carmel. So in verse 8, look at verse 8 with me. It says, one day Elisha went to Shunem. And a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped to eat. You know what that means? She was a good cook, right? He didn't just have one meal. Whenever he came through, he stopped for a meal. So this woman and her husband, they were rich. They were well off. They had a beautiful home, and everything was good. And one of the ways that this couple honored God with their resources was to bless the man of God with a meal whenever he came through town. But then one day, she got an idea. Let's look at verse 9. It says, one day she said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put in it a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. So this couple, they decide, let's add on a guest room just for Elisha. And Elisha always travels with an assistant, and his name is Gehazi. And we're going to hear a lot about Gehazi today, too. And so they even made room for Elisha's assistant to stay there. Okay, so they get the house remodeled, they get this room, and she goes out shopping. She goes to Lounsbury, she goes to Ashley Home Store, they pick out some furniture, then on the way they stop at one of my favorite stores, they stop at HomeSense, right? Look for a cute little table, to put a cute little lamp, they get some bedding, and they fix this room up just right as a place for the man of God to rest and relax whenever he's there, to have his own private retreat. And the first thing I want to point out in this story is that I think there's an important principle here. I wonder if sometimes we don't hear from God, and if sometimes we don't receive the miracle and blessing that this woman is about to receive because we've not made space for God. Maybe we've not made room for him. We've not set aside a place for him. Have we set aside room in our homes and in our life in our daily schedules? Have we made him a priority? I mean, this woman, she and her husband, they rearranged their house. They made space, and they invited this man of God in. And because of that, she's about to receive a miracle. 
And some of you might be saying, why, why can't I hear God? Why is he not speaking to me? And Charlotte Gamble makes this statement, and it is powerful. She says, the space you clear will affect what you hear. Whose voice are you hearing? What voices are you hearing? Have you made space for the voice of God in your life? He will not shout at you. We have to quiet and make space for him if we want to hear what he has to say to us. And because the Shunammite woman did just that, she made space. Let's look at what happens next. Look in your scripture, verse 11. It says, one day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and he lay down there. And he said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shunammite. So he called her and she stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her, you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? So Gehazi, he goes downstairs, he finds the woman, and they have this conversation. And basically, Gehazi says, ma'am, Elisha is so grateful for this room and the way that you've blessed him. And now he wants to know, what can he do for you and your husband? Maybe he could put in a good word for you with the king. He would be happy to speak to the king on your behalf. Is there some way that he can repay you for your kindness? But she says to Gehazi, you tell Elisha, we're good. We've got everything we need. We've got this beautiful house. We've got great friends. We are good. So in verse 13, Gehazi, the assistant, he goes back upstairs and he says to Elisha, Elisha, she doesn't really want anything. She said they're good. There's nothing that she needs. She just wants to be a blessing to you. Well, Elisha won't take no for an answer, which is really awesome uh, that he's that kind of guy. And he says to Gehazi, Gehazi, there, there has to be something that we can do for this couple. They have gone out of their way to make room for us in their home. There has to be something. And this is when Gehazi goes, well, Elisha, there, there's one thing that I've noticed. There's one thing I think we could do for this couple. And he's like, really? Well, what would that be? And he says, well, I've looked around, and this couple, they've got plenty of money, They've got plenty of friends. They have this big, beautiful home. But they're getting older. And the thing that's missing in this home is a child. So all of a sudden, there's this moment where the Holy Spirit gives them the idea for this miracle. Because listen, God does miracles for people who have generous hearts. Elisha had just asked if he could speak to the king on behalf of the Shunammite woman and her husband. And what did she say in response to that? She said, no, no, don't worry about it. We have everything that we need. But Elisha's about to do something even better. He's about to speak on her behalf to the king of kings, the king of heaven, the one who actually knows her heart and her deepest desires. Let's look at verse 15. It says, then Elisha said, call her. So Gehazi called her, and she came, and she stood in the doorway. So she comes to Elisha's room, but she doesn't go in. She stands at the doorway. Can you say doorway? Doorway. doorway. She stood in that doorway. And this is what happens. Look at verse 16. Elisha declares a prophecy over her. He says, about this time next year, you will hold a son in your arms. And she says, no, my lord. Oh, no, not a baby. Now let's stop there, right? Okay, because scripture says children are a blessing from the Lord, and they are. But can I tell you, as the mother of two children who are out of my house, 
who are away at university, that some of us are in a stage of life where a baby would not be a blessing we would ask for, <laughs> right? But let's catch this, the tone of her words. It's not that she didn't want a baby. It's that she had always wanted a baby. And it had never happened for her. So her objection, oh no, my Lord. She said, don't mislead me, man of God. And the New Living Translation says, oh no, man of God, please don't get my hopes up. Don't get my hopes up. And here's the first place where some of you might find yourselves. And it's a doorway of possibility. Where God maybe wants to speak to you about some things that you have shoved away into the attic, spiritually speaking. There might be some hopes and dreams in your life that you have boxed up. You're done with them. You've boxed them up and you've put them out of mind because they didn't happen when you thought that they should. Maybe there are some things that you used to dream about and hope for, but because it didn't happen yet, you thought it's never going to happen. So you've given up and you've said, I can't get my hopes up. I can't get my hopes up that my child will ever come back to God. I can't get my hopes up that God could ever restore my marriage, it's too far gone. I can't get my hopes up that I could ever start my own business or ministry. Hasn't happened yet, I don't think it will. I can't get my hopes up that God might ever do this or that. In days gone by, this woman and her husband, they used to dream of having a baby, but after so many years of trying, she was done with that dream. She had moved on. But then one day, this man of God met her in a doorway. And he spoke into the deepest disappointment in her life. And he spoke into that dream that she had given up. And she says, oh no, man of God, please don't get my hopes up. I don't think I can handle that disappointment, and I'd rather just not go there anymore. And there are some of you who've given up. But is it possible that you've given up on something that God has not even begun to work on yet. Is that possible? For some of you, I wonder if now might be the time when God is going to reopen that box of possibility. You've carried that disappointment for all these years, but maybe God wants to meet you in a doorway and reopen that door of possibility. Charlotte Gamble teaches on this idea, and she says that many times, though, this doorway of possibility leads to the second place you might find yourself, and that is a hallway of difficulty. Hallways are not fun, right? It's a hallway. They're meant to get you from one place to another. You don't stop in a hallway because that's not the destination, right? So it's to get you from here to there. I mean, when you're looking for a house and you call Melissa, and you say, Melissa, find me a house, what do you look at? You say, oh, how many bedrooms does that house have? Well, three, maybe four. Okay, how many bathrooms does this house have? Two, two and a half. Does it have a half bath? I'd love to have a half bath. Um, how about a garage? Does that house have a garage? Awesome. Does it have a fireplace? But does anybody say, how many hallways does that house have? <laughs> I don't think that's enough hallways for my family. We need at least five hallways. No! No one says that, right? A hallway is just to get you from here to there. It is just for passing through. Well, this woman of God, she's about to go through a hallway of great difficulty. 
But let's celebrate for a moment first. Verse 17, she has her miracle baby. Let's look at verse 17. It says, the woman became pregnant. And the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. This is the greatest season of her life. She and her husband could not be more thrilled with this miracle child that they have. But we have to keep reading. <laughs> verse 18, it says, the child grew. So several years have passed. And one day he went out to his father, who was out with the reapers. So dad's out working in the fields. And the son goes out. And the son says, my head, my head, he said to his father. And his father told a servant, carry him to his mother. So after the servant lifted him up and carried him to his mother, the boy sat on her lap until noon. And then he died. This is the very reason that she had said to Elisha, please don't get my hopes up. Don't string me along. I'd rather just not even hope for something good because then something bad might happen. And now look. So verse 21, what does she do? She went up and she laid him on the bed of the man of God and then she shut the door and she went out. And this is agonizing, isn't it? I mean, especially for those of you who've lost a child. You know the pain of having a child from the Lord and then watching that child pass away. It is the deepest grief we can experience. But I want us to notice here, where did she lay her child's body? We know this family was well-to-do. They had a large home. They had extra rooms. I'm sure this child had his own room. I'm sure he had his own bed. But did she lay him there? That's not where she laid him. Did she take him and lay him in her own room on her own bed? No. She goes back through the doorway of promise, where she had first been told, you will have a child. And she lays his lifeless body on the bed of the man of God. And then she entered her hallway, her hallway of difficulty. Now, I want to talk to you about three things that this wise woman did to navigate her difficult hallway. There are three rules that I see in how she handled this. Okay, and the first thing is, if you are in a hallway, there's no baggage in the hallway. I wonder today if some of us have baggage that we've been carrying around for far too long. We've got disappointment, we've got hurt, we've got bitterness, we've got anger. Things that we, we just keep carrying it with us through our hallway. But let's look at what this woman of God did. She took that body and she carried it with her disappointment with her hurt, with her fear and her confusion, and what did she do with it? Did she carry it around and show it to people and say, look what has happened? Why did this happen? I need to talk about this. That's not what she did. She laid that body down. She laid it down on Elisha's bed, and she went back through that doorway where she had first received the promise, and she closed the door. Let's look at verse 22. It says, she called her husband, and she said, please send me one of the servants and a donkey so I can go to the man of God quickly and return. And the husband says, why go to him today? It's not the new moon or the Sabbath. Those are the normal days that she would go to see Elisha. And she said, it's all right. Okay, so I'm going to stop here because she just said, it's all right. And I think this woman is incredibly determined. She's fierce. She has an idea of what she needs to be doing right now in this incredibly difficult situation. 
but I can't get over her response. What does she say? Three words, it's all right. It's all right, is it all right? Are things all right right now? No, things are not all right. It is far from being all right. But she did not stop here and take the time to have a conversation about the situation, not even with her husband. She did not stop to talk with her girlfriends. She did not stop to talk with her neighbor or with her mother. And that's the second rule in navigating a difficult hallway. The first, no baggage. Lay it down. And number two, no talking in the hallway. How many of you used to get in trouble for talking too much in school? <laughs> yeah? Yeah, a couple of you. Um, but when we are going through a season of difficulty and confusion, I think it is wise for us to close our mouths as we're going through the difficult hallways. And one reason is because when you stop to talk in the hallway, it slows you down. And you don't want to be slowed down in your hallway because it is just a place where you're passing through. So how many of you have ever left these doors on a Sunday morning and you're in a hurry to get out of here after a service? Right, Swiss Chalet is calling. <laughs> and you were in a hurry to get out. So you stand there at the door and you look and you're like, well, okay, I see a door that way where I can get out and maybe if I go this way I can get around that person, you know. And yeah, and as you're heading out, you're like, I'm in the clear, I can do this, I can be out faster than anybody else. But then you see the hallway and it is lined with people who want to chat. People who want to say, how are you doing today? Oh, how are the kids? How's the husband? How's the dog doing? When you stop to chat, it slows you down, right? And your husband and kids would say amen if they were here today because they usually are sitting out in the car waiting for you in the parking lot, right? <laughs> yep, yeah. So again, talking and chatting in the hallway will slow you down. Another problem with talking in the hallway is that hallways are places of movement, right? We said that's where you go from one place to another. When we, <laughs> when we share our business in the hallway, we have to expect that whoever we have said it to is going to take it with them and maybe share it in places you don't want it to go. Another challenge with hallway conversations is that sometimes the people you're tempted to talk to when you're in the hallway, they're in their own hallway as well. They are in their own difficult place as well. And confusion added to their confusion is not helpful when you've got a dead body that needs attention. So this Shunammite woman, she did not put her problem on Instagram. She did not put it on Snapchat, Facebook, or Twitter. Where did she take it? She took that pain and confusion back to the place of promise, and she laid it before God, and she closed the door. The door. And when someone asked her, what's wrong? What are you doing? Where are you going? She had the calm presence of mind to say, it's all right. I've got this. I'm taking it to God. And that's where it needs to go, to God. He is the one who has an answer, right? So in the hallway, remember, no baggage, no talking. The third rule, no lingering in the hallway. Verse 24, I hope you still have your scripture open. Look at what verse 24 says. It says, she saddled the donkey and she said to her servant, lead on and don't slow down for me unless I tell you to. So she saddled up and she said, let's go. Right? She said to her servant, I am tired, I am incredibly sad, and there are times I'm going to want to stop, but I 
can't stop. We have to keep pushing forward. Because she knew that that third rule is there's no lingering in the hallway. You've got to keep moving forward. Listen, God did not intend for you to set up camp in the hallway of difficulty. This temporary place is not supposed to be your permanent address. And some of you have decided to live in your hallway. You've moved in. You've brought in furniture. You've maybe pulled your television in. And you've set up a nice comfy bed. And you've put pictures on the walls in your hallway. Because you've decided to live in your place of disappointment. Self-pity can make us stay too long in our hallway. Overanalyzing our situation can trap us in our hallway. Our enemy wants nothing more than to make us comfortable in a place that is short of our blessing. We need to know that when we're in that hallway, no miracle can come because nothing gets resurrected in the hallway. This wise Shunammite lady, she did not lay her son's body down, close the door, and then sit in the hallway. I'm sure she felt like it. I'm sure she felt like laying on the floor outside of that door and weeping for days and days and days and days. But instead, she got on her donkey and she got moving in the direction of God. And maybe today, you need to get out of the hallway and get on your donkey and go. God is calling you and he's saying, I did not call you to live in this bad place. I called you to pass through here, not live here. This temporary place is not supposed to be your permanent address. You've got to push through your disappointment, your hurt, and your confusion if you're going to ever pursue your destiny. So she got on her donkey and she went to Elisha. Do you still have your scripture open? We're now at verse 27. It says, when she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me, and he has not told me why. So catch this. So before when she stood in that doorway, when Elisha first proclaimed a prophecy over her that she would have a baby, she herself did not have the words to articulate her broken dream and her disappointment over not being a mother. She had bundled it up and packed it away, but Elisha had helped identify it for her. He spoke those words for her. But this time, she is going to have to speak up for herself. She is going to have to make her own bold request of the king. And so she did, and she begged for God to give her back her son. So I hope you don't mind, but we're going to skip right to the miracle, okay? So Elisha comes back to the house, and he prays, and he prays, and he prays in faith, and the child is resurrected. Yay, God! He is a God of answers. And don't we all love a happy ending, right? And they lived happily ever after. Yes, is that what happens in this story, if you know it? It's not what happened. Now, the boy, he did come back to life. But in real life, is there really such thing as happily ever after? No. Real life is filled with bumps and bruises, even after you have seen a miracle, right? We are all still going to face 
more challenges. Because not only are there doorways, and not only are there hallways, but there's this third place where you might find yourself today, and that is a gateway. So just as we are to see in this story that the reality of life on this side of eternity is that difficulties are followed by miracles, and miracles are followed by difficulties, we're going to see that that's what's happened here in chapter 8. So turn over a few pages in your scripture to chapter 8. And we're going to see that this Shunammite woman ends up in another hallway of disappointment. Are you ready? Are you chapter 8, verse 1? It says, Now Elisha had said to the woman, whose son he had restored to life, Go away with your family and stay for a while wherever you can, because the Lord has decreed a famine in the land that will last for seven years. So the woman, she was wise, she knew who to listen to. She proceeded to do as the man of God said. So she and her family went away, and they stayed in the land of the Philistines for seven years. So she has her son back, but they've had to walk away and leave their property, their home, their riches, their friends. And for seven years, she has lived in a foreign land with foreign people, and she is back in another hallway of disappointment. But what does she do? She makes the choice that she's going to push through it. She's moving forward. And at the end of that seven years, she makes up her mind, and she decides to go back to the land of Israel. And she's about to ask something bold of the king. She has learned that bold requests can bring miraculous answers. Yes? She's going to ask for the restoration of all the land that she and her husband had lost. God can use the pain of yesterday and today's sorrows to build for you a greater tomorrow. He can do it. Some of you have maybe been through bankruptcy. You've lost a business. Maybe you've lost someone you love. Maybe you've lost a job. You've seen the death of a dream. But we can't forget that we serve a God who made this promise to us in Jeremiah 29, 11. If you don't know this verse by heart, learn it, okay? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, but to give you hope and a future. And this woman, she's lost her land, she's lost her home, she's lost her possessions, they've lost seven years. But when she comes back to Israel, she goes to the gateway, the gateway of the king's palace. And you're never going to guess the twist that this story takes. Do you want to know who is sitting there? having a little chat with the king. It's Gehazi, our old buddy Gehazi, Elisha's servant. The king had said to him, Gehazi, I have heard all these incredible stories of things that happened when you worked with Elisha. I'd love to hear about them. What are the best stories you can tell me? So Gehazi's like, well, king, let me tell you about this one time. There was this woman, and we're going to read. Look at verse 5. Just as Gehazi was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, the woman whose son Elisha had brought back to life came to beg the king for her house and land. Don't you love divine appointments? When we are obedient, God lines things up just right for us, doesn't he? So all of a sudden, there she is at the gateway, just as Gehazi is telling the king all about her story. So the king says to her, come on in. I want to hear your story. I want to hear it directly from your mouth. And so she's like, king, let me tell you what has happened. So she tells the king about her doorways, 
and her hallways about miracles that have been followed with difficulty and difficulties that were followed with miracles about how she and her husband continued to persevere and move forward and how God has been faithful in the good times and in the bad. And then she says to this king, King, I have a big request of you. We would like to come back here to live. And so in verse 6, it says, Then he, the king, assigned an official to her case and said to him, Give back everything that belonged to her, including all the income from her land from the day she left her country until now. Seven years restored. Seven years restored. He said, I'm going to make it all up to you. We don't want to get stuck in our hallway because the gateway is the payback moment. She had been generous to others. She was faithful in her hallway of difficulty. She was faithful in her doorway of promise. She kept pushing through when she had to keep pushing through. And for some of you, you might be ready for that gateway of great blessing today. Maybe you are in a place where you go, I'm ready to make the bold request of the king. God wants to restore to you the years. He wants to restore to you what's been lost. But I have to ask this question. Do you trust him enough to make that bold request? Are you willing to really tell him what's on your heart and be honest about it? Remember, we serve a king who is ready. He is more than ready to hear the bold requests of his daughters. And here at the Ignite Women's Conference, wherever you might find yourself today, you might be in a place where you see that you have boxed up dreams and put them away prematurely. Maybe you see that you're in a hallway. You've been sitting in a difficult place and you've been tempted to make your hallway your home, but you need to keep moving forward. Or maybe today you say, I'm ready to make that bold request, and I'm ready to wait on the perfect answer. I don't know where you find yourself today, but I know that the Lord wants to show you where you are, because he's ready to hear from you. So can I invite you to stand, and I hope you don't mind, I would love to pray over, um, over you this morning. Heavenly Father, you know that this is not the message I was planning to share this morning. But I believe with all my heart that this is the message you wanted to have shared this morning. You want for us as your daughters to know that you see us, you know our hearts, you know our deep hurts and our hopes. When we are disappointed with how things have turned out, you are there with us. When we have given up hope, you remind us that you are the God of hope. When we place our trust in you and not in ourselves or our own abilities or our circumstances, but when we have our eyes fixed on you, Romans 15, 13 says that you, the God of hope, will fill us with all joy and peace as we trust in you so that we may overflow with hope by the power of your Holy Spirit. And Isaiah 40, 31 says, God, that when we put our hope in you, you renew our strength to face each day that comes. And God, there are some ladies in this room who have been afraid to ask you for something that seems too far out of reach. But Lord, you know what's in our hearts. Nothing is hidden from you. 
but you want us to be honest with you about what is in our hearts. So God, this morning, I ask that you help us to know that you can be trusted with our boldest requests, our requests for healing, healing for our bodies and our minds, for our marriages to be restored, for our children to know you as Savior, for hope to be restored, and for joy to return. Heavenly Father, you are our good, good Father. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And just as you worked in the life of the Shunammite woman, we trust you to work in our lives. God, give us wisdom and patience. Give us courage to keep moving forward and give us courage to make bold requests. And then give us courage to wait for your perfect answer. God, we praise your holy name for you and you alone are worthy of all praise, all honor, all glory forever and ever. Amen.